Amen. You may be seated. Let me say good morning to you. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. So glad you're here. You glad to be at church today? Awesome, awesome. Well, I hope you had a great week and weekend. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today, which we'll get to here in just a few minutes. Just a few things uh, that I want to share with you as we get ready to uh, spend some time together looking at, again, God's Word together. Uh, a few things. First off, I want to once again welcome our VIPs today, first-time guests. Let's give it up for our VIPs. So thankful <coughs> to have you with us. And uh, as Danny said, if you haven't done so, if you would text us at 97,000 and follow the prompts you receive, we'd love to reach out to you, answer any questions that you might have. You could also scan the QR code uh, on the seat in front of you. Uh, and maybe it's not your first time, it's your second time, third time, fourth time, but you've never done that to let us know that you're with us. Again, would ask that you would do that. Um, and I want to welcome our online family. Give it up for BT Online today. Glad to have you all tuned in. And uh, also want to welcome our ASL family. So glad to have you all with us as well. Again, I love the fact that we strive to be a church uh, for everyone. And so uh, just a couple of things I want to say. We do believe in a culture of celebration at BT. We love to celebrate what God is doing. Uh, we love to acknowledge the fact that he's on the move. And he has been gracious enough uh, to include us in that movement. And what that looks like for our church this year is this, 347 people this year have said yes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, going from death to life. And 225 people have been obedient believers' baptism, choosing to make that decision public, entering the baptistries of our campuses, prisons that we've done ministry in, uh, and uh, even in Corpus Christi for a college night this past week. And so uh, we just celebrate that. Again, those 225 people that have gone public with their faith, the act of baptism has not provided their salvation, right? Salvation can never do that. Uh, you, you can get baptized as an infant, as uh, a, a, a child, as an adult. Uh, baptism without Jesus recognized as Savior doesn't accomplish anything. The Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. That it, it's an acknowledgement of our need for a Savior, that in and of ourselves we can't accomplish that great need. And so we call upon Jesus, and after calling upon Jesus, after receiving the means of salvation, which is uh, grace through faith, right? After receiving the means, we display the mark, which is baptism. And so we celebrate again uh, all of those that have gone from death to life because they've called upon the name of Jesus and also all of those that have gone public with that decision uh, to celebrate with their church family. And so I'm just, again, so thankful for the revival that God is doing in our church and across South Texas. Well, we spent all summer in a series called Experiencing God. If you are with us today for the first time, you missed a wild summer at our church. We started way back at the beginning of June. And on Sunday mornings, we walked through the themes of a well-known study called Experiencing God. We, on Wednesday nights, walked through the workbook, and we wrapped that up this past Wednesday. But really, the whole kind of emphasis of that series was we want to know and do the will of God, right? We want to know and do the will of God. We want to find where God is working, and we want to join him in it. If you missed all of those sermons, you can catch them online. If you're brand new with us today, so glad you're with us, you can uh, order the Experiencing God workbook and do it on your own. I promise you'll be blessed. But all that to say, we closed that series last week, which means today we start a new one. 
And uh, I, I just get, I know this is probably just me because, like, I'm pastor and preacher, but I get super excited on the first Sunday of a new sermon series. Uh, I feel like something new is starting. It's like the beginning of a football season, which is also is happening, praise God. Um, but I, I just love the, the first day of a new sermon series. So here, here's, here's good news for you. It's a great day to be at church, right? I mean, it's always a great day to be at church, but today we're kicking off a new series, and so you have made a great decision to be with us. Here's the catch. Anytime you come to the first Sunday of a sermon series, you by default have to come to all of the Sundays. So that's just, I mean, you just, if you miss the first one, then you can kind of, you know, but so this series is going to be 84 weeks long, and you can't, no, I'm just, no, it's not. But I do encourage you to stick around because this is what we're going to do. It's just four weeks. But for four weeks, we're going to talk about the subject that I think is most critical to the hearts of people. We're going to talk about identity. I believe that identity is the greatest need of any person on the planet. And I think you can leave this space, leave this place, and you can go to, to classrooms and places of business, you can go all over society, and people who don't know Jesus, people who wouldn't confess faith in Jesus, I think almost everybody would agree that, that identity is our greatest need. Who are we? Why am I here, right? Some of you, particularly if you're involved in education, may be familiar with Eric Erickson. He has eight stages of development, eight stages of development and the fifth stage is identity. It's this stage where we go from kind of confusion about who we are and what we're supposed to be to, to understanding that and, and, and it happens psychologically right around the time of puberty and it's supposed to go on until adulthood. But what's interesting in the psychological studies is that many people get stuck in the fifth stage. They, they don't progress to six, seven, and eight. Why is that? Because identity is our greatest need. And so many people spend so much time trying to figure out who they are. And the truth is the world offers all sorts of layers of identity, right? I mean, the world offers all sorts of layers and flavors. And, and just to be clear on the front side, they're not necessarily all bad or all evil. They're, they're, they're just not ultimately able to define us. This week I've thought through my life. And I've thought through what, what, what are my identities, what, what, what have I been recognized as, what, what identities have I, have I identified with. And so just some pictures, some of them are bad quality, you have to hang out with me here. But check out, this is what I've come up with, just a few things this week. Let's see the first picture of identity. <laughs> oh. That, I'm going to get this right. Yeah, that's my first son. <laughs> they all look the same. And so I realized that, that one of my identities is a father, right? What, what else? Oh, look at that. I was a father again. That would be my youngest son. And what else do we have here? Hey, I'm a pastor, right? That's actually from my very first Sunday as senior pastor of this church. So, so, I, I, so far, I'm a dad multiple times. I'm a pastor. What, what else have I? Youth pastor, right? That's actually when I was the student pastor here at BT, hanging out with, with teenagers. I've, I've been identified as a youth minister or a youth pastor. What else? I've been identified as a son. Not, not only a father, but a son, and a son of a guy with really good hair. 
My dad rocked an afro, and he was proud of it. I, I, I've been identified as a son, and what else? Had a mom as well. What else? Uh-oh. I wasn't just a son, but I was born the youngest of four boys. I was immediately a brother, right? They don't make pictures or outfits like that anymore, in case you're curious. In case you're curious, I'm the, uh, I'm the ridiculously good-looking guy with glasses in the picture there. So, so uh, uh, a pastor, a brother, a son, a father, what else? An athlete, clearly. A star midfielder for... Marcel's Portrait Studios and the Alice Youth Soccer Association. There weren't a lot of options in Alice in the early 80s. You played soccer or baseball. My dad didn't like baseball, so I played a lot of soccer. Funny thing, I, I don't like soccer. So anyways, um, what else? I was a student. Clearly a great one at that. Brought the apple for the teacher. So I've been a student. What else? Funny thing, I'm 44. I'm still a student. How am I still in school? Hey, I, I was a high school graduate, right? And you know you're cool when you have the class ring and you're taking your picture with the car, right? So that's my senior picture. I was a high school graduate. Also meant that I was a, an Alice Coyote graduating from Alice High School in 1997. What else? I was a college graduate, right? 19, uh, not, not, 2001, Howard Payne University. I was a yellow jacket. I completed my four years of education. While in college, I was lots of other things as well. I, I was a member of a Baptist church. I was a member of Iota Chi Alpha Men's Fraternity, right? If you can't find friends, you buy them. And so um, <laughs> I, was, I was involved in intramural athletics. So, I, so now I'm a college graduate. What else have I been? Engaged, right? I tricked that woman into saying yes. <laughs> and so we got Engaged, which let, let me just hit the pause, but I don't have time for all this. Might be one of the greatest um, just kind of silly things our culture's ever come up with, right? I tell people, young people, middle-aged people, old people, anybody that gets engaged, like, oh, we're engaged, we're going to have a great engagement, it's going to be super long. Like, don't do that. I often are engaged for a year. I'm like, why? Like, wh why are we engaged for a year? Just like we said, you said yes, let's get married tomorrow. But anyways, it's another subject, another day. All right, what else? Hey, I ended up getting married. All right. So uh, 20, almost, 21, almost 22 years ago. Well, 22 years ago next summer. So 21 years ago, uh, that yes to engagement became a yes to marriage. And so uh, now I'm a husband. So, so let me see. I, I'm, a, I'm a son, a brother, a student, a high school graduate, college graduate, a fiance, athlete, husband. What else have I been? I can't get enough school. I'm a seminary graduate, right? few years later, I'd graduate seminary. What else? Hey, I'm a dad again, right? These are not in order, by the way, in case you're wondering. Uh, well, I, hey, now, now I don't just have boys, but I have a daughter, right? None of my kids were given permission, nor were they asked permission for me to put their pictures up here, so that's how it goes. What, what else? Maybe that it? That's, hey, so th there's a few things that I have been identified as, right? Just a few. I mean, I can keep going. I, I'm, an, I'm an American. I'm a Texan. Praise God. Uh, I was born an Elysian, fancy talk, born in Alice, right? <laughs> Elysian, that's what you call them, all right? Elysian. We're sophisticated. So all, all kinds of, uh, of identities, and, and that's why, let me go back to say, to say that the world offers layers of identity is not to say that they're bad. There are, there are many of the identities that you saw that I am so thankful for. 
But nothing that you saw on that screen can truly be my identity that fulfills me. King Solomon, who would be the wisest person to ever live, wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. He says God has put eternity in the hearts of man. What, what does that mean? If you, if you read the chapter, it can sound a little bit confusing. It's kind of a rephrase of his statement. But what does it mean that God has put eternity in our hearts? What it means is that we know something's missing. There's a void. And, and you, can, you can have athletic accolades, students, and you can have academic accolades, and you can be a graduate, and you can have a spouse, and you can have children, and you can have a job, and you can have money, and you can have homes and cars. You can have a church. But none of that can fill the void. None of that can fill the void. And why is there a void to begin with, right? Why is there this gap? Why is there this, this hole in our existence that, that, let's be honest, we all know we've struggled with? Why is that even the case? Well, you got to go back to the beginning of the book for that, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we find out that God has created everything all of creation, and he, he puts the cherry on top with humanity, man and woman, and they are perfect in his image. They were created, check it out, they were created, fancy word, righteous. They were created that way. They didn't become that. They were created that because they were created without sin in the image of their creator God. But Genesis 3 tells us they exchanged the truth for a lie. In Genesis chapter 3, the righteous man and woman created by God, son and daughter of God, without blemish, no separation between them and their maker. They chose to believe a lie that maybe God was holding out. And in Genesis chapter 3, ultimately what happened is it's the first time humanity tried to be righteous on their own. Really what happened in Genesis 3 is Adam and Eve tried to achieve identity on their own, and what we know happens is, unfortunately, they welcome sin into the world so that you and I, when we were born, guess what? We weren't born with a righteousness. The Bible says we're born at odds with God, enemies. It's an unpopular statement, but it's biblical fact. And because sin has reigned in our hearts, we are born with a void, but yet we know something's missing because God has put eternity in the hearts of man. And here's the truth. Millions of people, if not billions of people on this planet right now are desperately trying to fill the void that was meant for Jesus. And that is heartbreaking. That's why we exist to take the gospel out. But also what is heartbreaking, hear me today, there will probably be millions of people in churches, and I'm going to go so bold to say there will probably be hundreds of people in this church today that know that they know Jesus, right? 
They, they know that there was that moment because all of those pictures that I showed you, ultimately what changed my life was the evening of March 4th of 1998 when I called upon the name of Jesus and I went from death to life because most people would agree that identity is our greatest need, but that's only half right. It's not just identity, it's spiritual identity. Because we can identify as so many things, husbands and wives and moms and dads and employees and employers and denominations and political affiliations. And we can identify with so many things, but it is only when we identify with Jesus that we can begin to truly experience life. There are millions, perhaps billions of people who do not identify with Jesus, but what I think is perhaps equally heartbreaking and really what I hope happens in these next four weeks is I believe there are probably millions or hundreds of thousands and probably hundreds of people in the, in the church we call BT that they know they know Jesus, they just don't know what that means today. And we're going to have to be willing to strip away some of the niceties and some of the Sunday morning, you know, smiles and everything's okay. And we're, if we will do some business in our own hearts in the next four weeks, I believe God will remind and reveal some things to us that will truly change who we are. Because when we say yes to Jesus, Satan has lost that heart forever. You, you don't get taken away from the grip of God. And so because Satan understands that, I think it's interesting that, that, that there are people in the church that don't understand that. But Satan understands that when we give our heart to Jesus, it doesn't get given back. So then what does Satan try to do? His goal at that point in time is to try to prevent us from understanding what it means that we belong to King Jesus. His greatest desire, I believe, is that we would never come to know what it means. that We just sang the song, I am who you say that I am. And spiritual identity is the greatest need we face. And as believers, it's the source of life to the fullest. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about it. It's going to be a departure from what we're used to, right? Uh, I understand that, that, that I preach, and our, our preaching team, we preach a certain way. That means that, that you get used to listening a certain way. Uh, I think it's effective. I don't know that the whole series is going to go that way, but if, you're, if you've been around, you know, normally we have a text, and, and then we've got, you know, we're, we try to be really good preachers, so that means you have three points. Sometimes we mess it up with four or five, but anyways. Uh, so we got some points, and those points all start with the same letter, so you can remember them and all that good stuff. Today, I don't got any of that. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what does it mean? What does it mean that I belong to him? Or maybe for some of us, maybe figuring out do we belong to him? Do, do we belong to him? And so really the backdrop, hear me, the backdrop for the whole series is going to be the first chapter of Ephesians. For four weeks we're going to go back to this first chapter of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, meet me there now. Ephesians chapter 1, it's in the New Testament. If you find Galatians, you're pretty close. Philippians, you're pretty close. In fact, it's right there in the middle. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Some of you grew up in church. How do you remember those four books? General Electric Power Company. 
Hey, it's a way to remember. Ephesians chapter 1, you can just put a bookmark there, put a ribbon there, put, put a paperclip there, because we'll be back next Sunday. We're going to stay in Ephesians 1 for four weeks. We're going to look at different things of what Paul is saying, because I believe Ephesians chapter 1 is a treatise on spiritual identity. And I believe that if we'll give our hearts to this, something powerful will happen. And I hope that people will give their lives to Jesus. That's always my hope. But hear me, for the many of us that already know Jesus, maybe for the many of us that kind of week after week, we're here, it's what we do, it's not begrudgingly, but we still don't know what it means. For, for those of us maybe that we, we, we come and we enjoy the fellowship and the worship and the stirring in our hearts, but it's almost like when it ends, there's a, there's a uh, concern because what we know is going to happen tonight or tomorrow or the next day is that pattern's going to take back over. And let's be honest, some of us, it's this vicious cycle because you come faithfully to corporate worship and your heart is stirred and your hands are raised, but somewhere between the Sundays, the, the, the old habits take back over. It's what the Apostle Paul would say to the church at Rome. He does the things that he doesn't want to do, right? And it's going to sound real repetitive, but this is, this is what Paul was getting at. We live those lives not because we're not truly saved. If you, have, if you have been found in Christ, you are sealed by the Spirit. So why do we still give in to temptation? For some, listen, for some people it might be because they haven't genuinely given their life to Jesus. And so sin is the desire of their heart. But for many of us, we have said yes to Jesus, and we go back to patterns of, of, of abusive substances, pornography, sexual immorality, gossip and slander, pride, lying, licentiousness. We go back to these types of, uh, of activities and lifestyles. Why? Because we don't know who we are in Jesus. Because we've bought some lie from the enemy that that's just how it's going to be. My prayer is that while four weeks can't be a magic bullet, I pray that it will help cement who it is that God says that we are. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. It's a letter. Paul's writing this to the church in Ephesus. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty quick introduction. He's going to get right to it. Verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And so right out the gate, he says God is to be praised. God is to be glorified. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Now, Paul is writing to those who identify with Jesus. If you're not sure where you stand with Jesus yet, this is not yet applicable to you. But he is saying to those that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, how blessed God is, how we should bless his name, because he has given, notice, not will give. He has given, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Why, why am I pointing that out? We're, we're, we're going to spend most of our time in verse 4, but I think this is worth it for some of us. 
I think some of us, we are going through life and we are just continuing this cycle of sin and repentance, which is good. Maybe some of us, we aren't taking our sins seriously enough and we're not repenting, but it's this up and down continual yo-yo that we think is just going to be how it is until we get to heaven because heaven is this ultimate payoff. Now, let me say a few things. Heaven is an ultimate payoff. When I close my eyes to this temporary life and open my eyes to Jesus, I will be free from what we call the body of flesh. And temptation will have no place in my existence. And brokenness will have no place in my existence. But I think if we're not careful, we will begin to think that, oh, in the sweet by and by when I get to heaven, we sing, like, sing great song, what a day that will be, right? Yes. But what a day today is as well. Many of us are familiar with what we know as the story of the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. You don't have to turn there. We've talked about it many times here in Sunday mornings. The story of the prodigal son is about a father who had two sons, right? And the younger son, he, he wanted his inheritance early. He demanded his inheritance early. His father gives it to him. He cashes out his inheritance, and he goes to a faraway place, and he lives wild and free. He throws parties. And then he found out the hard truth that usually when the money runs out, so do the friends. And so he was broke and helpless. He was feeding pigs, and he was longing to eat what the pigs ate. And he thought to himself, if I could just go back home and maybe perhaps be a servant of my father. And so he goes home. He's thinking he'll have to get there, and maybe dad won't even recognize him because he's disheveled and doesn't have shoes. But to his surprise, while he is a long way off, the father waiting on the porch runs to him, puts a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, comes back to the house, tells the servants, get the fattened calf, it is time for a fiesta. That's what we usually talk about. But also what was happening in that epic moment was the older son, faithful and diligent, served his father well. In fact, when this is all happening, he's out working. And he's out working. That's the That music? Hey, 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 Jimmy, find out what's going on. He says, oh, your dad's throwing a party because your brother's back. And the older son goes to his dad. He says, I have served you. You, you, wouldn't even, you wouldn't even get a goat for like, I can't, I can't even get some carabito with my friends here. You're, nothing. And then he says, and this son of, not my brother, this son of yours comes home from prostitutes and parties and you kill the fattened calf and the father says something powerful. He says, you are always with me and all I have is yours. What did, the, what did the father tell the older? What, what was the older son missing in his jealousy and rage of the return of the younger brother? You know what he forgot? He forgot he was literally living in the payoff right then. He was living in it. And some of us, 
We believe with sincere faith in Jesus as Savior, and we know that we will get to heaven, but we have forgotten the fact that while he has saved us for eternity, he has also saved us for today. And hear me, if you have Jesus in your life, you are living in the payoff. It is a reality. And the reason why many times we don't understand it is because we don't understand our identity. And so what does Paul go on to say, verse 4? Ephesians 1, 4 through 14, let's read the rest of it here. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Verse 11. In him we also have received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. It's a lot of stuff going on there. If you're following along, you're like, Chris, there are a lot of words I don't get. Don't worry, we got four weeks. Here's the one thing if you want to take a note today. We don't have three alliterated points, but I have one point that I want you to grasp. When it comes to our spiritual identity, the first thing that we have to get our minds wrapped around is that we are chosen. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We're chosen. Some of us, we, we may think back to elementary school and we may remember the joy of getting picked first, right, for the recess kickball team. Or, or maybe some of us, we think back to elementary school and we remember the pain of getting picked last, right? I remember early on in elementary school, we'd go to recess or we'd do things. And early on, I, I, I was always getting picked last, it felt like. All the elementary schools in Alice, they did this thing every year called the Little Olympics. And so I, there's all these football toss and baseball toss and different running events. And starting in kinder, every year, I was like, I want to I run the 75-yard dash. It's kinder and first grade and second grade and third grade, every year, I was the alternate. I'm like, what does that mean? It means I didn't get picked. And at eight, nine, ten years old, my world was crying. I remember that. It's funny, right? I didn't leave. And then something changed in fourth grade. Got intense in my training regiment, cleaned up the diet. And I, I don't know what happened. But suddenly in fourth grade, I got picked. Fourth and fifth grade, ran the 75-yard dash. And, man, when I got picked in fourth grade, I thought that I had arrived. Maybe it's not elementary school. Maybe it's a, a team or a club. Maybe you tried out for, for a role in the, 
in the school musical, you, you, you're team captain, you got the, the job amongst all the applicants, whatever it might be. Listen, there are great experiences in this life, but hear me, beloved, and I know some of the things I'm mentioning are silly, but I think we forget the fact that if those of us that have been called by Jesus, nothing holds a candle to the fact that he's picked me. Let me be, it's gonna, oh, that sounds harsh. I can't wrap my mind around that 21 years ago, my wife said yes. Because this side of heaven, there's nothing better in my life. And I love that woman dearly. But her saying yes to me will never compare to Jesus picking me. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now let me hit the pause button real quick just, just to address the theological tension, all right? Just some, some of you, you're hearing this, you're like, I, he chose so, so like we don't have a say in it? It's just like God picked a baseball team and if you didn't get picked, sorry. I'm gonna talk for like five minutes on this, so let me just say a few things. By no means in five minutes will I probably be able to do justice. And if this is something that troubles your soul, I'm not gonna make it better. <laughs> for hundreds of years, theologians have tried to debate this and, and, and they're smarter than me, but I've just, I've just decided I'm gonna resign myself to the fact that I'm not meant to understand it. Because the two things that are at play here, fancy word, is the volition of man. What does that mean? The ability to respond, right? The ability to respond, the volition of man and the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? He's in charge of it. And there's great debate. Some would say God has chosen, and it's, it's, it's kind of random selection. He chose you and 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 everyone else he didn't choose, and so you will spend eternity in hell, and you got nothing you can do about it. And so then people push back and say, well, that seems cruel. But then the flip response is, well, maybe God doesn't know how it plays out, and that's not the way it works. In, in, in a great tension, what I believe the scripture teaches is that I have a genuine human response to God drawing me to himself. Now, I think it's critical that we understand no one in this room or online that calls themselves a Christian, no one on their own sought Jesus out. No one said, man, my life is a mess. I could use some help. No, he drew us to himself. He draws us to himself and then we respond to the drawing, right? And so there is this genuine human response underneath the full sovereignty of God. You say, Chris, hold on, I know a story about that dude Zacchaeus, right? Remember that, he, that the story would get canceled today, by the way. At least the song would. Like I learned a song in church. Zacchaeus was a wee little, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> Bible says he was little. There's a guy named Zacchaeus in the Bible found in the Gospel of Luke, got lots of money heard about Jesus, wants to get a picture, wants to get a, a view of him. So Zacchaeus goes out the house, climbs a tree because he's a wee little man, right? So he climbs the tree like, oh, yeah, you see, gotcha, Chris. Zacchaeus did that on his own. You think it's coincidence Jesus stopped at that tree? Like some of us, again, the song doesn't do us any favors. We got to write better, theologically better kid songs. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Why did he want to see the Lord? Because Jesus had already began to draw him to himself. And while Jesus is rolling through town with a crowd around him, 
He just so happens. Zacchaeus didn't say, Jesus, please stop. If you're seeking him out, you think you'd call him out, right? He stops at the tree and Zacchaeus, you come down. And so there is this tension that, listen, if you really want to wrestle with it, you can, but I don't think you're going to get it figured out. But I believe that I have genuinely responded to God's drawing on my life to him. But I believe he is completely sovereign, and I'll just explain it this way. If you've ever watched tennis, played tennis, racquetball, pickleball, anything else, the game of tennis, someone begins the point with a serve, right? And if I am serving to you, you got to wait for that. You, you can't, there's nothing for you to return until I've served the ball, right? But once I throw the ball in the air and hit it in your direction, it is your responsibility to what? Return that ball back to me. You didn't initiate it, but you need to return it if you want to play the game. You catch that? God always has service. He's always the one serving, I believe, the Bible teaches us. No no one serves to God and he returns it back to us. He is serving in our direction and we are either watching the ball go by Or by the grace of God, empowered by the Spirit, we are returning. And in that return, we're finding our lives in Christ. He has chosen us. Before the foundation of the world. Think about that. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Just let this thought sink in. What are the odds of you being you? What? I know this seems kind of all over the place, but just what are the odds of you being, what did it take for you to be you? It took the right two people, right? You're like, how far are you going with this? I don't want to think about my parents that way. We're not going that far. But it, look, look j- j- not trying to be crass, just, it took the right two people. I mean, it is a miracle. Just under the science, it took the right swimmer to get to the finish line. (laughs) It it could be the same people any other time, a different swimmer. If you're like, I don't know what that means, ask your parents, all right? (laughs) I'll jump ahead. You know what science science teaches us? That the the odds of you being you and me being me is one in 400 trillion. When you factor the number of people on the planet. Swimmers on the swim team. (laughs) Move faster for a second, guys. One in 400 trillion. But before my parents or your parents ever had a thought of each other, much less us. You say, well, Chris, this is a sensitive subject. My parents didn't even care about me. They left me. Good or bad, and I don't, make like of, I don't make light of that, good or bad, before you were a thought, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. He knew. He knew he would pick you. You think of the odds of you being you, what, what about the fact that God has called you his own? He's predestined you to be adopted, verse 5. Sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself. 
And he's done that knowing all of my hangups and all of my mistakes. You catch that? God's never been, he's never been surprised by all of my shortcomings. He's never second-guessed his decision to choose me. Knowing me better than I know me, shortcomings, mess-ups, flaws, theologically we would call it this fancy word, God knowing that I am totally depraved, right? That doesn't sound popular. But we've got to get this. Before Jesus, we're not just kind of okay, kind of bad. Before Jesus, oh, well, you know, I, I grew up in church. Well, you know, my parents, they, they made sure I was baptized in the church as a baby. Before Jesus comes into your life, not through baptism or association with the church or family name, but through your recognition of your need for a Savior, before that moment, we are not just simply kind of bad. We are actively working against him. We have softened the blow too much. We are enemies of God. And so I didn't kind of help him out. I didn't bring some pretty good stuff to the table. I didn't meet him halfway. I wasn't looking for him, but he was looking for me. He didn't come halfway. Jesus came all the way. And he picked me, yes, to spend eternity with him in heaven, but he also picked me to walk with him today. I mean, the author of the letter we're looking at, Paul, that you want to talk about a guy who actively worked against God? Before Paul was Paul, he was called Saul, and his job was finding, arresting, torturing Christians. And then what did God do? Was, was Paul on the road to Damascus? Some of you know the Bible story. Was he on the road to Damascus and said, Lord, help me? No, God blind, blind. And, and, and arguably, perhaps, one of, the, one of the human beings at the time most actively working against God would be the pioneer of church expansion. <laughs> Think about all the people God could have picked. Think Paul did it on his own? Paul, Paul got it. And I know that this is kind of out there. Hear me, beloved. And some of you are like, well, I've been in church my whole life, Chris. I think this is good for somebody else, but this is, I'm, I'm kind of past this. Beloved, we're never past this. Because those of us that know Jesus, Satan is working against our understanding of what it means to be in Christ. And the life that God has for us of purpose and blessing and favor, it is available but, but growing in our understanding of who we are in Jesus is critical for us to experience that life this side of heaven. Let me wrap up. So what I want to do. I'm, I'm just going to read a little bit more. I'm just going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, okay? I'm just going to read it. And I promise I'm not going to preach it. I think it's probably going to preach itself. I hope this will connect. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, think about what we've already heard. Paul says this, right? We're chosen, right? He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler <coughs> of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. That's what I've been trying to say. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. If you catch anything, catch this. God knew full well who I was and who you were when he called us. He knew exactly what he was getting when he chose us, served the ball in our direction to see if we would return the volley. Shortcomings, hang-ups, failures, and flaws. And some of us Some of us have not said yes to Jesus because we think those things are too great. And some of us, we believe that we'll go to heaven, but we don't believe we'll ever live a victorious Christian life because we keep tripping over the same things and we just can't get it figured out. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 have two of the most powerful words in the entire scripture. While Paul through three verses of chapter 2 said you were dead in trespasses, you you are messed up and sinful and you're not worth it. Verse 4 says, but God being rich in mercy. Let me just close with this thought. In my life, before March 4th of 1998, I was completely unworthy. There's no getting around it. There was nothing in me worth saving to a holy God. I I had been to church. Sure, I, I I had done some good volunteering. Sure, I had a great family. But in my life, there, there was nothing worth saving. And, and, and in 2023, we don't really like to say that about people, much less ourselves. But I'm telling you, I was the definition of unworthy. And there are some of us, we need to get a grip on that reality that without Jesus, before Jesus, we were without worth. Lost, as Paul says, in our sins, dead in our trespasses. God didn't go, whoa, I've got a lot of, I got a lot of bad choice, man. I have made some mistakes, but Chris, man, he is a peach. I'm picking him. And some, let me just say some hard words. Some of us, you need to get a grasp on who you are without Jesus. It doesn't matter what you got in the bank account, what you've accomplished, how much you've given to church, how, what classes you've taught, what society or your family thinks of you without Jesus and his saving grace. I've got nothing. But some of us, hear me, some of us need to get a grip on this. Because before, I'm going to use my story, before March 4th of 98, 
I was completely unworthy. But around 9 p.m. that night, the script flipped. And for over 25 years, I have been counted worthy. What, what makes something worth something? Right? Maybe you sold a house or a vehicle, right? You, you sold a house. You put a list price out there, right? Does the asking price of a house determine its value? A anybody? What, what determines the value? The sales price. Jesus paid the price. And so, listen, I don't mean this facetiously or I'm not trying to be offensive or controversial. You can figure out what you think of yourself. But I know who I am. And it, I think we think that there has to be this, we create this false dichotomy. Beloved, we, we have to understand who we are without Jesus. And that may be what some of us need to get a grip on today. You start to think a little bit too highly of yourself and, and you think that you don't actually need Jesus for everything in your life. I can know who I am without Jesus, and that doesn't mean that I can't know who I am because of Jesus. More than a conqueror, sealed in a love that, that I can never be separated from. I am his workmanship. Ephesians 2, I'm the masterpiece of God. You can say what you want about me. You're a terrible preacher. I can't wait till you're done. He thinks I'm awesome. Because he picked me. And it might seem elementary and remedial, but the church needs this understanding. Because nothing unlocks the Christian life. Like knowing who I am without Jesus and then knowing who I am because of him. That he's called me He's picked me. Think about babies, right? I got I, four, four kids. Last thing. Some of, you, some of your parents, you maybe remember that moment. Just stay with me. Don't. When a baby is born, that little bundle of joy is placed in mom's arms, passed over to dad. What value does that baby bring to the family in that moment? You, you know? You know how much? It's not going to financially contribute. Going to do the opposite. <laughs> not going to clean up around. Going to do the opposite. It's not going to say, hey, you get some sleep. I'll, nope. It's going to say, give me all your sleep. You're like, ah, well, you. Sounds kind of cruel. No, listen. But, but in this strange course of events, while babies bring nothing to the table, we ooh and all. And I mean, I was, listen, I, I'm not a big kid. I like my kids. They're, they're great. Other kids, hey. 
I wasn't, I wasn't the just I wasn't the guy at 25 like, oh, give me that baby. Oh, look at the little baby. I was the guy like, well, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? And then August 1st of 06, for the first time, my baby was, oh, look at the little baby. You know what I mean? What? It's not like, oh, you, my, you're going to just, you're going to help around that. No. What, what makes it happen is not what the baby has brought to the table, but the unconditional love the parents have decided to have for the child. Right? Some of you know where I'm going. Because you're, you're having a hard time understanding that God loves you. You know, listen, I'm talking to people that know that they know Jesus, that they know they've got heaven sorted out. They're just not real convinced God likes them. Because you think that what you bring to the table is what determines. And some of you are like, oh, you're telling us we can go sin. Come back next week. I'll tell you why that's not what I'm saying. But God's not saying, well, Chris, what are you going to bring to the table? We Listen, I can say that I am worthy without hesitation. That I am worthy not because of what I have accomplished. I don't bring value to God. God's net worth did not go up because he got me. But with confidence, I can say I am worthy and I am sealed because he's decided that he was going to love me. That's why. And if you've said yes to Jesus, my question is, what are you doing with that reality? What are you doing with that reality? Are you letting the world or the place of business or, 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 or the pursuit of a, of a relationship, are you letting something lower your worth because something in this life isn't picking you the way you hoped it would? Well, remember that he's chosen you. What are you going to do with it? You stay on the sidelines? You're going to get in the game. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go to work this week and talk about the God who picked you. Are, are you going to believe he has a purpose? He didn't just save you for nothing. You're going you're gonna to take bold steps, like maybe choose to get baptized and quit playing the game like you're hiding from your faith. And maybe for someone, what you know, what you know is that you, you know you don't know where you stand before God. And you feel in your heart the drawing, and literally what's happening is ball after ball has been served your direction, and you're just watching it go by because you're not sure that you are worthy enough to return the ball. Beloved, if he has served it in your direction, the desire of his heart is for you to return it back. And so as we close with worship, here's the question that I have, for some of us, we may just want to come to the altar and we may want to spend time in prayer and we, want to, we may want to thank God for calling us worthy. You may want to think about a decision that needs to be made that would cause your life to reflect the fact that God has chosen you. But maybe for someone, what you need to understand and you know is true is that God is serving in your direction and you have yet to respond and you have no identity without him. But today, he offers it. He didn't ask you what you can bring to the table. He just says, bring you. So I'm asking you to bow your head and close your eyes. And this morning, as we get ready to worship, if there is someone in this room or watching online and what you know your decision is, is you need to say yes to Jesus. 
You need to respond to the drawing of God on your life. You need to receive the gift of salvation. Then whoever that might be, I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me. It's not a magic formula. There's, there's, there's no power simply in reciting words. It's just a way for you to believe in your heart and confess your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is and that you know you need him. If that's you today, just say this prayer with me right where you are. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost and hopeless without you. But I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus. I believe he left heaven and came to earth. I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe three days later he rose again and defeated sin and death. And so Jesus, I trust you with my life and I receive the gift of salvation. Thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray.